Howdy. Howdy. Well, uh, have you all heard the phrase, uh, snitches get stitches? Yeah. All right. Oh, wait, wait, I, wait. Man, someone in the choir was like, yes. Was like, man, whoa, whoa, my word. Okay, goodness. Um, I don't want to know who's turned against you. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's the idea that, you know, like if, if you squeal on somebody, then, you know, you're going to get even worse coming to you. The, the thing is, is um, you know, every once in a while I, I tell you all about elementary school and uh, how it was like the worst time of my life whatsoever. And with that is uh, back in second grade, uh, there was this one day where some of the kids just, I don't know what it was I did that day, but they just did not like me at all. And the teacher noticed. And that's like the worst thing in the world when the teacher notices because then the teacher's going to jump in and try to do something about it and always makes it worse somehow. And, and that's the thing is that then the teacher said that all of the kids had to, that were involved in it had to go and write me an apology. So all of them are just sitting there for like 20 minutes trying to write down all this stuff and it's like, oh, I'm really, really sorry and oh, let's be really, really good friends and uh, uh, yeah, it was a whole bunch of lies. But the thing was with it that it became super awkward and it also ended up um, costing me one of my actual friends. And with it though is it also reinforced something in my mind is that you can't force goodwill. You can't force friendship. You can't force people to actually like you. And with it is when we come to our epistle lesson today, and Paul is telling them, y'all need to just stop bickering and get along. And that's the thing with this, is that it makes me wonder, was Paul ever a second grade teacher? I don't think that he was. Maybe he should go back and, you know, he'll, he'll get his certification somewhere in the, along the way. But the thing is, is that oftentimes is that picking a fight is just so easy. It is just so easy to be able, whenever you're upset with someone, to try to look at ways to not only pick a fight, but also maybe to keep it going. You know, it's like there's that one person that just like, Oh, they just get on your nerves all the time. And you're just like, you know, man, if only I could just uh, get back at them. And, and you catch yourself saying little snide remarks from time to time. Little, little comments or, you know, as soon as their back is turned and you're like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that, whatever. And the thing is, is that we can't help ourselves. It's this desire that when someone has really just gotten to us, we really want to make sure that they know we haven't forgotten. The thing with this is that we always feel like we're justified in doing it. But in so doing, it, it's sort of like as much as we read the passage in Philippians and we think, well, of course people shouldn't be, you know, propagating arguments and bickering and hurting each other. But somehow we always think that it's a good idea when we do it. Somehow it is that we are trying to make a point. I need to make a point to this person. They don't realize what they've done. I need to take a stand because I'm defending people. Or maybe I need to take a stand because I'm defending God. 
or even more than that is just making sure that someone knows that they've been put in their place. And that's the thing that we see in here, is that in Philippians 2, Paul comes in here saying, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there is any part of you that has the Holy Spirit in any part of you that cares at all, complete my joy, make me happy, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from rivalry or conceit. If you cared all about me, could y'all just find a way to get along and agree on something? And the thing with this is that in many ways, we hate that. We hate the idea that we have to find ways to agree with or get along with the very people that irk us the most. It's almost like we think that if we can make peace with someone that has hurt us or annoyed us or frustrated us, that somehow that means that we are weak. It, it's almost like some sort of weird evolutionary development sort of a thing. I, I, I read a, a, a little piece that was in uh, uh, one of uh, Richard Dawkins' uh, writings, and I can't stand the guy. But, uh, you know, it's like you gotta, you got to at least know a little bit, uh, uh, you know, like uh, of what it is that a person is, is teaching and learning. And it's this whole idea that somehow we can only look after other people if we somehow feel like it's benefiting ourselves. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to teach you all a big word. Okay, it's five syllables. All right. I want you to repeat this after me. My yes ta to come. Okay, let's try it. All right. My yes ta to come. Okay. It is a nice big word. They made us learn it at the seminary. Okay. And the idea behind this is that Jesus, being both God and man, that every time Jesus was doing something divine, miraculous, amazing, his human side was also doing it too. So the idea is that his human side was glorified because he's also God. So there's another side to that, though. And it was a teaching that wasn't always necessarily embraced. And I, and I, want, I, I don't want you all to repeat this part after me because it's a controversial one, and I'll explain why. They call it the Tapenauticon. And the reason why it was controversial was the idea that, well, what about the, the other way around? Doesn't that also mean that being God, God is participating in human things? Suffering, frailty, struggles, temptation. And the reason why it was so controversial is because some people thought that that meant that Jesus was emptying himself of his godliness, of his divinity. They called it kenosis. And they thought that if that were the case, then does that mean that Jesus somehow let go of being God while he was a human? Now I'm going to ask you, does that sound right? No. 
And that, that's the trouble with it, is that leading toward this idea that somehow allowing people to make him suffer that way was somehow losing his divine side. The trouble is, is that we do the same thing in our own lives. We somehow think that if we allow ourselves to seem weak or somehow that we have to deal with the ones that we don't like as much, if somehow we are showing that, well, maybe we're giving in, does that mean that now I've lost a piece of myself? Does that now mean that I'm no longer as strong? Or for us guys, does that mean we're no longer manly because we had to apologize? And I don't mean the whole, yes, honey, you're right, I'm sorry, that you're supposed to memorize when you first get married. It doesn't always work. But the idea that somehow if we acknowledge that maybe we don't have it all figured out, and maybe we do want to restore things with this person that we've been frustrated with, that somehow it takes away from us. And that's the problem with this teaching about Jesus, is that we keep seeing the same thing ourselves. There was an, an episode of, uh, of Friends, okay? Um, uh, for, the, uh, for the kids, uh, that was a TV show. Uh, your, your parents will probably quote it from time to time. If they ever say pivot, just go with it. Okay. But in it, one of the characters, Ross, was trying to find a nanny for his daughter, his and uh, Rachel's daughter. It's been like two, two decades, three decades. If you haven't seen it by now, I'm not really spoiling anything. But with it, though, is then they had a guy come in who was the perfect nanny, would play on a flute to get their daughter to fall asleep, baked the perfect Madelines, always knew exactly what to say and how to care for a child in any situation, even making uh, Joey feel better about himself as well. But Ross could not stand the idea of a man being a nanny. Back in the days, I'm sorry, uh, you just can't be the nanny. And he said, is it because I'm a man? He was like, well, yeah. And then ends up finishing the episode by showing that Ross himself was afraid of being weak and that that's why he was so afraid of a man being the nanny. And Ross ends up crying somewhere in there and everybody laughs. But the truth is, is that we do that also. We somehow think that if we do not stand up against anybody and everybody that has ever harmed us, that somehow it takes away from our strength. And that's the thing about this, is to pause and say, what is God working in you? See, the truth is, is that I could come up here and just tell you, you know what? If there's some sort of a conflict happening, get over it. God demands you to get over it. You've got to get over it. Yeah, that's only going to go so far. But the scary part is the fact that God does want that. And every moment that we continue to say, no, I can't let myself be weak, is another moment of telling the Holy Spirit, I don't want to listen to you. 
kind of scary. Is that this isn't just a matter of ego or pride. It's actually even getting to a moment of saying, God is saying this to you. And you don't want to hear the Holy Spirit. And that's the hard part about this, is that Paul is here not as somebody just lecturing them, but as somebody who is willing to be imprisoned. Paul is not the person to sit there and then basically say, okay, now I need you all to come in and bring some money and bribe these guards to get me out. I need you to come with a hacksaw and get the back window open for me so we can run out. This isn't, oh my goodness, could you believe what Timothy and Epaphroditus said, and blah, 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 and they got me arrested over here if they could have just played it cool for a little while. No. This is Paul in prison now talking up Timothy and Epaphroditus who are on the outside. Two people who are not having to sit with him in prison. Epaphroditus coming from Philippi. Timothy over there having been with him throughout all of this. And what does he end up spending verses 19 through 30 doing? The man who is in prison, who has any and every reason to complain, is spending it all talking up his companions. Because at that moment in time, what was most important to him was everybody else. And that's the thing with this passage, is to come back to this idea is, are you looking only to your own interests, or do you care about the interests of others? You see, that's the, the piece with this. when all of these other issues are coming up is that instead of looking to something that makes us great is instead we're looking to what makes others great <coughs> and the truth be told is that we also are called to do that for the ones that have hurt us We're also called to do that for the ones that bother us the most. And see, that's the hard part, is that, you know, we as a church, you know, we're, we're still, you know, not too far out of COVID, and we're still making sure that we can bring back the people who had been here previously, but also bringing in new people. And truth be told, is that it is scary as a church to not seem strong and confident and bold. Because what is the rest of the world going to think of us? But the problem is, is that a church that spends so long trying to be strong and confident and bold in themselves is no church at all. See, that's the thing about this, is that rather being strong in weakness being empathetic, being loving, being compassionate, being able to acknowledge that the very person who may have harmed us the most, or maybe didn't even harm us as much as just didn't even care enough, the one who just maybe wasn't even emotionally invested in us in the first place, 
but also by being willing to love them and to go the extra mile. And that if they ask us for a cloak, to give them a second. And if they ask us to walk a mile, we walk a second. Is that it ends up allowing the Spirit to do work through us that God can't do if all we're doing is looking at ourselves. You see, in the midst of empathy, we are called to be like Two weeks ago, we talked about Corey Ten Boom, and the truth is, is that at that moment, the very person who had come and harmed her and her family, she could have marked him for the rest of his life and made sure that everybody in that room knew who he was and gotten her revenge. But what did she do? The thing is, is that this isn't easy. We're not going to get it right on the first try. But we are called to try. You see, with this is that these examples of empathy and compassion are actually the only things that are going to make a difference. And the thing is, is that I, as I'm bringing this idea to a head, I want to bring to you three examples. Bless you. One is Samson. See, in the Old Testament, Samson was a strong man. And you read most of his story, and most of his story is him doing things where he's making sure everybody realizes he wins and they do not. Whenever he is being taken advantage of, by a future father-in-law and he ends up destroying crops with fire tied to foxes' tails. Whenever he is able to go in and prove that he can kill a lion but then come in and, and have a riddle and stump everybody. Whenever he wants to end up showing that he can get any woman that he wants. But one that ends up happening to him is that all that pride ends up leading to a downfall where he loses his hair and he loses his strength. But in the midst of being blind and weak, that is when God is able to use him to bring down the Philistines. Or even looking to Luther. Luther's kind of a pain in the butt sometimes. Let's just be honest. But at the same time, he was also a man called by God. And being in Germany, Germans, whether you know it or not, sometimes pick fights with each other. I, I know they're always a peaceable group of people, but sometimes Germans can be a little bit stubborn. Rumor has it. But with that is that Luther would have back and forth arguments with a man named Karlstadt. And the two of them disagreed time and time again. But when the peasant war came up and Karlstadt was being accused as inciting violence, Luther took his adversary and hid him in his home for eight weeks and gave him a chance to write an apology. And when I say apology, it's more of an explanation. But letting people know that he had nothing to do with inciting the violence. 
And so Luther gave his enemy a chance to speak for himself so that he wouldn't be killed by the authorities. And more than that is the third example, hopefully, is the obvious. How many times did Peter want Jesus to assert himself? But at the moment, whenever Jesus could have let his disciples take on the guards, and he told Peter to put away his sword, is that that was the very time when his weakness was used to bring about salvation for us all. So the truth is, is that as much as we're oftentimes afraid of looking weak by making nice with the people that cause difficulty in our lives, is that the truth is, is that that is the very time when God does his greatest work. But more than that, it also means that we get restored with another person. And just like a brother and his sibling, sometimes, even though they may still be annoyed with their sister, which I have absolutely no idea what that's like, is that sometimes by the end of the day, you just got to let it go because that's your playmate. And who really wants to sit alone in their room with nobody to play with? So in your life, may you find the strength to be weak and to have compassion, not on an enemy, but on a future friend. Thanks be to God.